This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Good morning, everybody. This is the Do Not Listen to This Podcast, the first episode that I am recording actually in 2022. Happy New Year, everybody. Actually, Happy New Year now. I recorded, it's been a long time since I've been on a podcast, Mike. It's been like pff, fucking three weeks at this point. So it, it, like, I recorded last week's episode, the first new episode of 2022, in the middle of 2021 when I was wrapping up everything I had to wrap up. I had a fuck ton of work to do. Then I, so I basically haven't done really any work in like for this, for my media, for the blog or the podcast in about three weeks. So this is kind of foreign going, going back to me. So I'm, it's a Saturday, so I'm not recording on a usual Friday. Work has been really busy coming back, obviously, with a bunch of stuff. Took about 11 days off because my work uh, is very generous and kind of has, you know, a winter break for Christmas, the holidays and New Year's, all that stuff. And so I went home for a week to Cleveland, which is very nice. Went back here, didn't really do anything, didn't work on my normal job, didn't work in my, this job, anything like that, didn't record anything, didn't write anything new. Um, I took a complete break. I left my personal computer, my work computer in Texas when I went out to Cleveland. It was just, it was just so, not, it was hard, you know, actually, because when you're so accustomed to just grinding, just so, and I'm not trying to sound like a douche at all, even though I probably do. Like when you're just so accustomed to, um, to working really, really hard and you just kind of just reset and reshift that hard, um, it just, it's, it's very, very, um, difficult. It's very, very hard. And so like, it, it took me about more than half the time to get that way. And thankfully I had, um, some cousins in town and, you know, my, actually my cousin, his buddy who is becoming like a cousin to me, I guess, in a distant form or fashion. And they came in from Michigan and they're very, very fun people. And we were able to just kind of, you know, I was able to feed off that energy and kind of relax a little bit. But anyway, so I hope you guys are getting into, or have gotten into 2022 and that now that we're a little over a weekend by this point, it's actually releasing my mom's birthday is to is going to be released uh, tomorrow when this episode released on January 9th. She is going to be an unnamed age because I know women do not like to talk about their age, so I'm not going to mention her age. But um, my mom's birthday is tomorrow, which is very exciting. So um, today I wanted to focus on, you know, it's the beginning of a new year. I don't do the new year, new me bullshit. I don't do any bullshit when I, if I don't have to, or I, at least I don't try to do any bullshit. But um, this topic I thought is very, very pertinent for going into a new year, for doing really kind of anything new. Whether that's a new relationship, a new thing, you know, personal project you're trying to do, a new thing you're trying, like a hobby, a, a class, anything. Like I started boxing a couple weeks ago. I suck at it. I'm really, really bad. I'm not really good at all. Uh, I, I actually just came from a class this morning and I'm, I'm incredibly sore already because the muscles that I have to use for boxing and the cardio I have to use for boxing, I have not used in, in 
maybe my entire life, but certainly in years. Um, so this topic I wrote when I was living in Boston and actually released on my birthday on October 17th of 2020. So about, um, I would say 15, 16 months ago by this point. And I was going through kind of a mental block in a way in terms of like me kind of getting, um, just situated with a new form and facet of life. Like I was seeing, you know, a girl who I dated for a couple months at the time. Uh, we went out to dinner the night before everything was great, but I was still being bothered by a, ex of mine that has a common trend throughout, you know, the whole, uh, blog. If you, if you pay attention or see, I don't think, I don't, I'm sure you don't, but I mean, there's common kind of a common things. And a lot of that was to try to get, you know, past that and move past. It. And I have now, thankfully, I still, you know, think about it. Obviously, I don't think it really goes away for any of us when we get, you know, when we love somebody and we kind of are in a relationship with somebody and we have to let that go. But I think it's very important to kind of learn how to do this and learn kind of at least how to, you know, manufacture something or a process where you can kind of move past, what is not serving you anymore, what is hindering you, what is kind of enabling a fear or a kind of trepidation about moving into something that could be a positive thing for you. So I wanted to get into this and I think it's a really, really cool example. I saw this when I was um, in work when I was between like my 50th and 60th cold call and I was like, you know, miserable, obviously, because when you're working a job, you have to cold call and cold email people and you get screamed at and yelled at all the time. It's never fun. So I needed something to make me laugh and this made me laugh, but it also made me think. So those are a pretty good combination. I think any good comedian and this one who you will hear about certainly fits that description will do for you. So without further ado, here we go. So the feels suck. What's infinitely worse is when you willingly put yourself into them. Chris Rock did an interview with Howard Stern on September 29th of 2020. Many of us know Chris Rock is one of the greatest comedians of all time. The baddest motherfucker alive, according to him in the interview or at least an anamorphic cartoon zebra, one of the two. But I always have a pit in my stomach when I watch comedians talk. Little do most folks know, who watch them know the depth of these people. They're incredibly deep and insightful humans. And odds are, most of their humor comes from a serious fuck ton of trauma. Because comedy is a double-edged sword. These people deal with their pain by constantly reliving it and telling jokes about it. It sticks with them forever. The audience just remembers it for that five minutes when it nearly made them spit their Michelob Ultra all over their date at the local comedy club. They can never truly live anything down. Comedy is so volatile that it destroyed the lives of people like John Belushi, Chris Farley, and Robin Williams. It made Chevy Chase into one of the saddest old men you'll ever see. It scarred David Spade, Farley's best friend, for life. In literally every single interview I've seen him in, he's asked about his dead friend. Dan Aykroyd, a close friend of Belushi, is likely the same way. People like Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, and others from that era are constantly as well. It's like a horror movie being run all over again in your mind. You don't want to think about it, but people just keep reminding you of it. Chris Rock went through this same trauma and detailed it with incredible vulnerability to Stern and his co-host Robin Quivers. Chris Rock grew up in a very strict two-parent household, as detailed in the sitcom about his life, Everybody Hates Chris. Due to their emphasis on education, Rock was sent by his parents to a recently desegregated school that was primarily filled with white students. However, little did his parents know that the school they sent their son to would turn out to be one filled with torment. You see, just because the school is desegregated doesn't mean it's automatically better, according to Rock, and I agree with this. Kids can be fucking cruel, mostly because they're ignorant to the world around them, because they've been shielded by the world around, to the world around them by their parents. Rock was, Rock was ruthlessly bullied as a child. In the interview with Stern, he compared it to being Andy Dufresne in The Shawshank Redemption. Quote, 
every day was hell. He got beat up most every day. He was robbed, sometimes literally by kids flipping him upside down and shaking money out of his pockets. I thought it was some shit that people did in cartoons. Guess there's some reality to that comedy, too. He even reported some sexual abuse. He said he wasn't raped, but he came pretty damn close. Stern was startled by this. He went through a similar situation in reverse. He went to and was bullied because he was white in a predominantly black school. It brought up similar trauma. Rock was quick to pounce on that, too. Rock stated that the way he channeled that pain was through comedy, stern through radio, and both men agreed with that. But it wasn't a total escape. Rock had been called on to Stern's show because he had recently came forward about a nonverbal learning disability that he had been diagnosed with recently but had had for a long time. Rock stated that he wasn't shocked when he heard, but it still stuck with him. He knew he had issues in that realm. He suffered from, quote, high ego, low self-esteem, with the high ego only coming when he was performing comedy. Chris Rock had to cling to his old, only life preserver he had, his com comedic wit, in order to escape temporarily from where he was at the time. Stern had to do the same with radio. That doesn't excuse any actions, especially some of the bizarre shit Stern has done. But it definitely makes sense. Childhood trauma sticks with us all. We all have it in different ways. Parents get divorced, siblings have disabilities, grandparents get cancer, we get abused. But where we go wrong is in thinking that we don't carry it into adulthood. Chris Rock, when directing his film Top 5, noticed something peculiar about a security guard when he was on the set. He looked oddly familiar. But then it clicked. It was his bully from school. This was one of the kids that shook the money out of Rock's pockets, that beat him up and made his life hell every single day. They locked eyes for a second while on the set. The guard could tell that Rock remembered him and looked at him with shame. Rock simply nodded to him, wished him well in his mind, and went about his business. Stern was, again, shook. How could Rock do this? How could he just blow right by that abuse that he had endured and the trauma after just to wish this man who once tormented him well? It was an act of incredible maturity and vulnerability. Not many people could have done it, at least not many that I know, and certainly not me. So Stern asked him, How? How could you do that? Rock went way back to the good old days before cartoons got taken over by the mob and political correctness. Looney Tunes which is one of my personal favorites we still watch in our house. He answered Stern's question with a question. What got Elmer Fudd really pissed off at Bugs Bunny? When he shot him with a shotgun, dropped a piano on him, set him on fire? No. Elmer Fudd got really pissed off at Bugs Bunny when Bugs Bunny kissed him. Only through that horrific act of showing him kindness did Elmer Fudd, the oppressor, feel the most pain from Bugs Bunny, the oppressed, and as a child going up in a Looney Tunes household, like I said earlier, I can say that this is spot on. Rock didn't need to throw his old bully off the set or go tell him to fuck himself. He only needed to give him a nod of approval and a well wish, and the job was done. By then, Rock dropped the Bugs Bunny-esque anvil, the security guard's true punishment. Quote, He could have been my friend. End quote. Wouldn't you like to be friends with Chris Rock? I sure as shit would. Do I agree with everything the man says? No. But Chris Rock seems like a good guy from most fronts. He's really funny and seems like he has his head on straight, and I think this interview proves it. But I think there's something bigger than we can take from here. What Chris Rock showed was how to effectively let go of something that is burdening you. Pain sticks, as I've said earlier. It does not go away easily. It also does not matter what it is. It could be bullying, like Rock. It could be in a divorce. It could be other things. Which is where my feels come in. So, 
as I mentioned earlier, um, I talked about how my ex-girlfriend had cut off communication. Well, actually, so backtrack this. The week before this, my ex-girlfriend had cut off communication completely and had moved on with her life. What does this matter, one might say? We had broke up seven, or seven months ago and earlier, after all. And that may be true. But I have noticed that in these situations, time really doesn't much mean all that much at all. Some people move on quickly, some not so much so. I, as a person who keeps a very small circle of people around him, don't like change. I don't like turnover in my life. It scares me. It leaves me feeling very insecure. I don't like feeling out of control. I feel that if someone leaves me, I want to curl up in a ball and cry. To me, I might never replace them. Is this irrational? Yes, completely. But that's not the way feelings work. They're the opposite of rational. That's a big reason why my relationship lasted as long as it did anyways. It was driven by feelings, not by actual productive things that occur in a healthy relationship. But here you might interject again. Isn't love, see this post, built on feelings? Well, in many cases it is. It, it should not be, by the way. But that does not necessarily mean that it is the best place for it to end up. In fact, a guy named Plato was very against it. He said that the type of love people should strive for was platonic love, not romantic love. Platonic love is a strong connection to a person, not necessarily romantic. An incredibly strong dependence on one person. Kind of like overcompensa emotional overcompensation, but healthy. And he wasn't the only one who believed this. As detailed by Mark Manson, among others, but in this article that I cite in the blog, namely, again, don't read this blog.com, for the longest time, people avoided romantic love. There was a reason why arranged marriages were a thing. The parents who arranged them wanted to take all the subjective lovey-dovey bullshit away from their kids to protect them. The Iliad and Romeo and Juliet were created by Homer and Shakespeare to show just how fucking terrible romantic love can be if you just let it corrupt everything in your existence. Cities fell and couples oddly engaged in dual suicide because of it. It was only until some anti-Semite named Walt Disney and the other ty tycoons of old Hollywood came around and played on our emotions, shout out to our guy Edward Bernays, as we mentioned in a previous podcast, to sell us advertising and other things. As Don Draper of Mad Men once said, quote, What you call love was invented by guys like me to sell nylons. End quote. Well, let's just say I bought a shit ton of nylons, and probably other shit, because of it. And a lot of people have. And we carry that shit with us for a while. Only when we can effectively unload it can we rid, it, rid us of its burdens. How we deal with our pain and how to let it go is one of the most crucial skills we can all learn in life. If we avoid doing so, it can crush us and make us create an emotional and mental prison for ourselves. It isn't easy, and it is a continuous process. It is for me, and it probably will continue for a while, and thankfully it's starting to fade, as I mentioned earlier. But I think I've outlined a nice way on how to do it. I'll send it off with one last gem from Rock before we begin. Quote, When someone does you wrong, just give them a kiss. Step one, acknowledge that what you're going through is fucking terrible. In all honesty, this one shouldn't be that hard, but it's trickier than one might think. I believe that the primary reason for this is that people desperately want to hold on to something, whether that may be a case of a relationship, a career they hate, something that they know is bad for them, like drinking too much or anything else. We don't want to see that what we desire is not good for us. We want to keep pulling at it in multiple strings because of multiple reasons. 
this is rule five in Jordan Peterson's 12 more rules for life beyond order or beyond order 12 more rules for life, by the way, do not do what you hate. It's a good thing to adhere to. It is a rule, by the way. We might want to see if it can work. If you just keep drinking every Sunday without a problem or slink another pill from the cabinet or nutting our girlfriend when she specifically tells us not to, we might want to think that it's really not that bad that we can get through it. This gives us a sense of resolution and toughness, two traits that are admirable in any human being if done for the right reasons. But these, among the other reasons, are lies. And deep down, we know it. We really do. People aren't stupid. They're mostly very self-aware. At least I think so. They just don't like to use it properly. They'd rather shove it under the rug. That's easier. That's less hard than having to do what is necessary. To do what Kevin O'Leary always tells unfortunate mediocre entrepreneurs on Shark Tank, quote, take it behind the barn and shoot it. You cannot hit what you cannot see. That much is obvious, and it's something that we talked about before. But what we don't often take into account is when we choose not to see something. That is another animal altogether. When you're simply ignorant of something because you didn't know about it, that's one thing. It's a whole other to be in complete and utter violation of the second don't and to be willfully ignorant to something that sucks or something that is harming you. This manifests itself in things like mindless positivity and toxic victimhood. You either convince, translation, lie to yourself by saying that what you're going through is not awful when it is very much so, or you convince yourself that there is nothing you can do about it and succumb to your own mental prison, as Jason Wilson says all the time. Neither one is a good option. You can either fake it until you break down and throw, or throw in the towel right from the jump, and I wouldn't recommend either to any human being I respected. In order to first start the process of moving on and letting go, you need to be brutally honest with yourself. But it doesn't really involve tearing yourself down at the core. It just involves telling yourself that what you're going through fucking sucks. You must know that it is not normal to feel shitty about a situation if you are doing the right things. Whatever those quote right things are is completely up to the context and of the situation and your values, and whether or not you are suppressing anyone else's. But you must trust that what you are doing is right, and what is happening must be wrong if you are doing the morally correct thing. Do not hesitate to acknowledge this. You will only make your pain persist if you hold on to it longer. I've done this way too many times. Like I said earlier, I have a hard time giving up on things and letting things go when I should. It's a diminishing return. This is something that I personally have to work on a lot. And it's one of the reasons why I wrote this blog post, and I'm doing this podcast now. Additionally, you must also be honest with the situation you are facing. Just like yourself, you must be unabashedly honest with it. Do not pretend that what you're going through is not a real thing. Break the stigma. World Mental Health Day was just a couple days before I wrote this post. I'm currently reading a, I was currently reading a book called Make America Healthy Again, my first on healthcare in the United States. The author, Dr. Nicole Safier, makes an emphasis on the book on advocating for more deliberate and forceful combatants to mental health. Her overall thesis is that we need to do whatever we can in order to take radical personal responsibility over ourselves, including our mental health, in order to fix some of the issues that are currently going on in our country that affect everyone holistically. And I think she's spot on. But this is a dichotomy. This is a very easy spot for people to succumb to emotional overcompensation and degrade themselves the issue they claim to be facing, and others that are actually dealing with said issue. I've seen this with things like bullying, other mental health issues, STIs, you name it. This plays in the aspect of toxic victimhood that I mentioned earlier. Bullying is a real thing, as are mental health issues. The STIs was more of a joke, but it takes two to tango in most cases, sometimes three if you're feeling extra frisky. 
But we must be careful not to take it too far. Just because someone says something mean to you on Twitter, or yelled at you in a work meeting, or told you to clean up your shit does not mean this person is, quote, bullying you. Yet, I've seen all three happen numerous times. Therapy dogs in college campuses are exploding right now. I can count on two hands the people who just got one just to get one. They had no mental health issue, and they admitted it. They just got one for the fuck of it. This is a very sickening thing to do. To take resources that people could actually use to better themselves because they need them just because you wanted to be selfish by victimizing yourself. It's what made the college admission scandal so abhorrent. It's the lack of empathy towards the people that might need it. Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin never once considered what an acceptance at a prestigious school might mean for a kid in the inner city or a young person who lives in a family destroyed by the opioid crisis. As long as their children got in with their fake accounts of Rowan Crew and their YouTube channel, they were satisfied. They didn't care who they hurt. If anything in this world can count as privilege, it's that, because abuse of power always is. In the end, it's a balance. You must not victimize yourself, but you must be honest. That is a hard thing to do, because it's too easy in a lot of cases to do either option. Only through acknowledging and seeing that what you're going through truly sucks can you effectively begin the process of letting it go. You must, or it will fester inside your brain and eat away at it from the inside. People will feel sympathy for you when you succumb to either side of the spectrum, making it harder and harder to break from its clutches. Do not give in. Which leads me to my next point. You have to know the other players in the game. What is causing you to feel this emotional imbalance? Is it you that's causing the problem? Who else is involved regardless of the genesis of the problem? What are they and you doing specifically that is causing this problem at all? You need to know your, ins your situation inside and out. You need to know what is causing the fucking suckage. You must create a vacuum around your problem. Nothing can and should escape it. Examine it in the sparsest detail because you need to. Why leave anything up to chance? If you do that, the problem may not be solved. Some things may leak out and create a distraction for you, which could cause the problem that you're dealing with to rear its ugly head at some time in the most not-so-distant future, either. When you, know the face, when you know the enemy you face, your problem completely drawn out in this instance. You can create a line of sight in order to attack it with precision. You know nothing if you leave things up to chance and don't do anything to root out the causes of what you're dealing with. Additionally, you need to gather this information for another reason. When you get to the point of being able to let something go, you need to let go of all of it. Not just some of it. Not just the bits and pieces that you don't want to remember because they're convenient and expedient for you to do so with. All of it. The bad, the good, and everything in between. I think this is another hesitation that a lot of people have in this area, at least it is for me. You're hesitant to get rid of something and purge it from your life because it once made you feel good. Maybe it made you feel good in a lot of, a lot of the time. In my situation, I gained the closest friend I had ever had in my life. Cutting that out was hard. What was even harder was that it coupled on top of the clusterfuck that it had been 2020 and my best friend of seven, of seven months, totally, or seven years, totally pivoting on me out of nowhere and thinking I'm a bigot, another story for another day. That's a lot of loss and a lot of trauma. I didn't want, to, want it all to go to hell. But that's the thing about life. We aren't in control. If the beer virus has had lasting impact on me, that will be, and was, it. We can only control ourselves and hope that it will lead to a life that smiles down upon us because of that control and ownership and responsibility that we are willingly forcing upon ourselves. By cheating ourselves of not getting rid of a problem in its entirety, with leaving bits and pieces behind, we cheat ourselves and relinquish our sense of control until it gets pounded into dust. This is not good. 
Finally, before we move on to step two, I must issue a disclaimer. Be very hesitant to cast blame on anyone. Remember, this is your problem. You need to be empathetic towards people. A good portion of letting go of anything is getting proper help from the proper people. You need to be aware of the factors and the players, but do not blame anyone unless you have 100% proof of their malevolence towards you. In my situation, and I believe the most situation of most situations of breakup in general, I knew my ex-girlfriend was not at fault. I do not blame her for anything. She is, I think at least, happy and living a life of meaning in her eyes. That is what matters, not my feelings about it. That is my problem to deal with. In terms of my former best friend, well, that's a him problem, unless you actually do think I'm a bigot and I've been podcasting and blogging for a year and two years respectively now. And then I would ask you, why in the fuck are you still reading or listening to my shit? (laughs) So, up to this point, we've covered that you need to acknowledge the fact that what you're going through sucks. But now, who's ready for a plot twist? I'm going to ask you not to try. I think I've asked you guys this before, but can you guys hear me drinking water in the background? Like, I'm fucking parched right now. <laughs> um, because uh, I told you I boxed earlier, and I'm, I have not taken in enough water. So I'm, I'm, I'm struggling through this here. I'm going in and out, but I'm trying. So, step two, retreat, but only inwards. But not like, not try, not try. Just not try in the conventional sense of doing so. This is something we've talked about multiple times. Detachment. To avoid some succumbing to emotional overcompensation, mindless positivity, and toxic victimhood, it sometimes helps to get away from the situation a bit. You don't want to get so wrapped up in them because you become enslaved to your own perceptions, which are probably biased anyway for dealing with nearly anything of merit or value. There is another issue that is also present. Did the end of step one, where I said that you need to account for literally everything in your current problem or think that you need to let go of freak you out a little bit, seem like a little much? Well, spoiler alert, it is a lot. I don't think it's too much necessarily. That would be overwhelming and you probably wouldn't have the balls and ovaries to face it in the first place. But it still is a lot. Probably much more going on than what you initially thought. And that deserves your fully and undivided attention. The only way that you can get that, in my view, is if you step back from the situation and deal with all your emotions individually in order to process them. Take an inventory and create a lane in which you can drive. However, there is also a balance that must be maintained. You cannot run from your problems. Do not think that detaching from them is the same thing as abandoning them. They are not. Mindless positivity and toxic victimhood are the same things as avoidance. You must take ownership and responsibility for letting go what is burdening you, whether that be a death in the family, the loss of a friend, or any of the above. These are complicated issues. They are not binary. It would be very wrong to treat them as such and disrespect the care that they deserve. We've all had to do this a couple times in the past, to let go of something that was once so dear to us that it is no longer in our lives. It is not the same as flipping a switch on and off. There are different buttons you have to push, different things you need to do in order to take proper placement of it. But you cannot see all those different buttons and things you need to do from up close. Retreat temporarily. These type of events can be like a wave. They can wash over you and drown you if you are not careful. Much more careful analysis is needed to not forget anything that is going on and to deal with all the things that you need to go to let go, as like we previously discussed. 
You cannot do that when you're emotionally underwater. This comes to a head with a realization that not a lot of people can make. The difference between fault and responsibility. This is a key thing that too many people miss when dealing with any issue. Specifically one of letting something go and moving on. For example, it is not your fault that you got hit by a car. But it's no one's responsibility but your own to pick yourself up off the street, get some physical therapy, and get walking again. Who else is to do it but you? And by contrast, it is your fault if you're being a drunk asshole and step in front of a car at the last second to show off to your boys how high you can bounce off someone's hood. That is your fault, and concurrently, your responsibility, especially if you did something to the other person that damaged them or their property in some way. So, what should we pick? Well, as we found out, not everything is your fault. It's not your fault if a meteorite comes down and vaporizes your wife in front of you, or you send your daughter to a good school and the teacher had good reviews hits her. But it is damn sure your responsibility to get on with your life after the loss of your life and get your daughter the fuck out of that situation and probably beat the teacher up, by the way, and do everything in your power to help her. Why? Because you're responsible for them. You need to take up that mantle in order to move on effectively. The sad thing is, this leads to one thing too often. Toxic victimhood. Too many people think that things are out of their control when they actually are completely within their control. I have very little sympathy for people that do this. I don't feel bad for you if you eat like shit and don't work out and girls don't think you're attractive. I don't feel bad for you if you don't spend time working on your personality and your own internal conflicts and you can't find a guy who wants to date you past the first fuck. Back to our friend Dr. Safir. Her book focuses on how America's health and health system has degenerated over time. People don't realize how complicated our healthcare system is. I certainly did not. It's one of the reasons I stayed away from it for so long. I didn't even know where to start. A lot of people don't understand this. They throw out blanketed solutions like uncompromising choice, universal health care, and things will mani magically get better. And newsflash, they will not, by the way. A big part of Safir's proposed solution to this problem is simple. We need to reduce the amount of people that will go to the doctor and get sick. This seems very obvious to nearly everybody, particularly now in the pandemic. The less amount of sick people we have, the less money that is used to treat them. The less money spent by people not going to the doctor is a good thing. It will make doctors more valuable, put more emphasis on all the amazing work they do, and free up capital to spend on innovation to make these same medical professionals better at their jobs. It's, this is Economics 101. But then the question becomes, how do we get people less sick? According to Safir, which I actually agree with wholeheartedly, it starts with us as individuals. The bloat and inefficiency of the system is equal to the bloat, quite literally in this case, and you can laugh at that if you want, and the inefficiency of us to live a healthy lifestyle. And as Americans, newsflash again, we are terribly unhealthy people. We eat too much crap and don't work out enough. A lot of what we do eat that's healthy is just injected with obscene amounts of salt and sugar to make things taste better. An overwhelming number of Americans still use tobacco regularly. We drink too much alcohol. Doctors overprescribe opiates that lead to addiction, coupled with people not taking them, taking them correctly. We don't treat our mental health in nearly the same regard as our physical health. According to research cited in Safir's book, the two leading causes of death in America are cancer and some form of cardiovascular disease. Per that same research, 80% of cardiovascular disease is preventable, as well as 40% of all cancers. This is an absolutely stunning set of facts. Think of the bloat we could reduce if we just lead healthier lives overall. Think of the innovation that could come. Think of the spending that could be better allocated elsewhere to help people with these problems. But the problem is, 
we don't think about it. We're too busy thinking it's someone else's responsibility to save a perfectly sovereign individual from destruction. It is not. You are, on most occasions, in complete control of your health. You may have allergies or problems with exercise. That's fine. But you don't have to be shredded and have a six-pack to be healthy. That is perfectly in your control. Your health, like letting go, is both your fault and responsibility. You contributed to the cause and the situation, just like you contribute to your health. This is true in a vast majority of cases. And this is why true victims are so rare to find. Lastly, you must step back in order to accumulate all your knowledge of what you need to let go of and develop plans to get away from them. Is it more time off of dating apps, jerking off less, getting out of your apartment more, and spending some more time in fresh air? You need to identify specific patterns and behaviors. You cannot throw blankets over everything. In order to let go and let go effectively, you need to know what specifically is causing the problem. Specifics are hard to find when you're close to tears for the 12th time after your girlfriend dumped you, or you can't stop thinking about the fight that you and your dad had the week before in which you both said things you shouldn't have said. You need to know your resources as much as you know anything, and that includes what can help you just as much as what can harm you. Remember, you cannot hit what you cannot see. Good or bad, you can't. In order to let go, you need to identify both what got you there and what you need to do specifically get out. With my situation, it was asking myself how I ended up in this situation. It was for a good reason, but there were some things along the way that she and I regretted, if you couldn't tell by now, it was an incredibly toxic relationship. We then had to find a roadmap of how to break off attachment and move on. She was proving to be much better at this than I, and she continued to be, and I applauded her for it. She was not afraid to draw a line in the sand. I can tell you that we are very similar people, so she probably had the same fear of a gaping void in her life as I did. Yet she made the leap and took the plunge and came out better for it. She's probably very happy. I'm in a good state, but I was still dwelling at the time. Again, if you couldn't tell, based on the contents of this post. Dwelling on things only leads to a subversion of your mental state until you, it inevitably collapses on itself. You must give yourself space in order to do this. You must let go. You're still holding on. Kylo Ren voice. <laughs> By detaching, you get to gain that space. But this cannot last. You must reattach yourself to the situation in order to be fully comfortable, accept what it is, and finally move on. This will give you internal closure, something that is immensely needed in these types of situations. But this involves getting really personal. Definitely not social distancing. At least, not of the cerebral kind. Step three, give them a kiss. Wait, Sam, so you're saying that you want us to tongue-fuck the thing we want to let go of? No, I am not saying that, listener. I do not. I am not. I do, indeed, not want you to do that. What I'm simply saying is to not approach the situation with hostility. When you, whenever you have an aggravated move towards something you want to let go of, it becomes that much harder to let go of it. There is a reason why people, quote, hold grudges and, quote, foster hatred towards people. They're all symptoms for the same thing, or synonyms for the same thing, excuse me. Keeping something near and dear to you. With these specific things, this should be something that you, should not, that you, do, not do, that you do not do. It's exactly like Chris Rock said. 
give them a kiss, wish them well. It might be a jagged pill to force down your throat, but don't do it with the other person's tongue, please. But it's one that's worth swallowing. With time, said pill will dissolve and help you in some ways by dispersing within your body to alleviate pain. Because pain is temporary, as the great Eric Thomas says. Because, like most things, they are temporary. Hardly anything is forever. With the exception of breathing and having to do things like drink and eat, this becomes more so. More things, most things in your life will wash away. Every one of them. Your health will eventually disintegrate. Everyone you love will die, except for those who are fortunate enough to do so after you yourself are gone. You will change jobs more than once. You will more than likely move a ton. Your friends will circulate out of a revolving door. You will probably have to date numerous people before you find your spouse, and there's a 50% chance you'll end up divorcing them, too. That's a lot of change. That's a lot of impactful change. And guess what? It happens all the time. How many dates have you gone on in the last year? Any one of those could potentially have been your life partner. How many job applications have you filled out in your life? Any one of them could have been your big break. How many of your friends have you had in your life? Any one of them could be the one to stick with you through thick and thin. But guess what else happened? You failed. Miserably. We all have. Myself most definitely so, if you couldn't tell throughout the duration of this podcast. Anytime you make yourself vulnerable enough to dare cross into that treacherous terrain, you face a binary solution. That situation could either work out in your favor or not work out in your favor. And most of the time, it will not. The failure has a potential to overwhelm you. But you should not let it. In our world, filled with nearly infinite choice in all aspects of your life, you also have a near-infinite number of chances to get shit right and to get your damn house in order. Date didn't work out, so what? You'll have another chance with another person. Company you applied told you to go fuck yourself? Good, probably didn't want to work there anyway. Best friend thinks you're a raging istism like my former one does? Excellent, you're probably not, and you don't need that bullshit clogging the arteries of your life. Rid yourself of the plaque that is so slowly killing you. In my specific situation, it was one of the most painful things I've gone through in my life. But it also taught me many things. She treated me great. She showed me what I should settle for and commit to. That is an invaluable gift that is only given by someone through experience and the inevitable hardship that comes with it. But it ended. I accept that. But, given what I cited in the previous paragraph, it will end up being probably good for me. It is always a good thing, no matter what the circumstances, if you do not let it consume your life. It allows you and that person to move on with more clarity towards the fulfillment of your life. Because, in the end, the fulfillment of life isn't about what ended. The fulfillment of life is about what is experienced. It isn't about what wasn't. It is only about what is. And what wasn't always shapes what is. It is the shunning of an innumerable amount of things for the selective choice of a few that you value in such high regard that you don't put yourself out there that's far in order to commit to them. Do not let the things that aren't consume the things that are. Both are valuable, but only at the expense of the other. So I advise you to make the right decision. But there is another reason why you should wish them well. Because you should wish them well. Because you should wish them well. This is not a question of scenario or situation. This is an obligation of morality. We have a deep connection with our fellow humans. There is a deep bond between us. It is not a choice. We should want to help people succeed and create avenues for others. 
each one teach one, in the words of Denzel Washington. It is a deep moral obligation in order to promote the welfare of others. The selflessness that is shown in the situations in which this is done is nearly unparalleled. This can be seen in charity, in donations, or in any form of sacrifice where no direct value add is increased in the own sphere of your life. I believe one of the most troubling things about 2020, potentially the most troubling thing about 2020, is how much that has not been done. Hostility and rage-mongering have been promoted over friendship and kindness. The sad thing? It's over the cheapest and most inane bullshit of our time. Most of the time. We don't create constructive conflict. We create conflict to create chaos and to demonize. We must not do this when moving on and letting go. Think about it. Why would you wish poorly on the person you're moving on from? Why would you want them to suffer? Because they wronged you or didn't want to date you? Take your selfishness and kindly shove it up your ass, you narcissistic asswipe. You're not better than anyone. I'm not better than anyone. That person isn't better than anyone. Why should they have to suffer because you're ineptitude, and hint they should not? That person deserves to have their higher power-given rights bestowed on them. Their pursuit of happiness per and purpose is the right of every American. Who in the fuck are you to demonize them and wish that it could be taken away from them? No one, that's who. You want them to be constructive and contributing members of society, not degenerates who have no hope or purpose in their life. That's how bad things happen. Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips made the most influential film in years about that concept. Joker, 2019, by the way. I want my ex-girlfriend to do well. I want my, my former best friend to do well. I want them to live happy and fruitful lives because they deserve to. Even though things didn't work out between us and we have gone our separate ways, I do not wish the worst on them. To wish the worst on them would be to wish the worst on everyone who touches them in society. I do not want that blood on my hands. The butterfly effect could come back to seriously bite me in the ass, and if you don't know what that is, read it. It's the most terrifying both short story and theory that I have ever encountered in most senses. This should be the attitude in every scenario in which something ends for you. You want the other party to be okay. You want the other party to be able to move on beyond you and elevate from your own in their own beautiful, special, and unique way. It is a moral obligation to do so. To not would be to betray your own brothers and sisters of the human race. It is not only a betrayal against them, but a betrayal against yourself. But lastly, and most importantly, you should do it for yourself. You will never effectively move on if you don't come to peace with who you are and who the other person is. You want to send it off the right way. La La Land is also one of the best films of recent memory, and its whole point can be summed up in this one article. Sometimes, no matter how hard you try, the thing that you eventually need to happen outpaces what you want to happen. And it's for the better. When people evolve, especially young people, they tend to leave a lot of things behind. That movie taught us a painful but necessary lesson to us all. Sometimes we don't get what we want. Sometimes we have to endure unbelievable loss in order to experience something down the line. The key is the focus. Focus on what wasn't and what is. You need both in order to properly, effectively prosper in society. The two lead characters in the film were good people. They had ambition and good manners and respect. Yet they still got dicked by the horrors of life and vulnerability. They did not deserve that fate. But that's what they got. The universe doesn't care whether you deserve something or not. It only cares that you exist. It's going to do whatever the fuck it wants, even if it causes you harm. 
you are most likely a good person who also has some level of ambition and good manners and respect. You will get dicked by the horrors of life and vulnerability. You cannot escape them. So, do yourself a favor. Let them go. It will not be easy. It was not easy for me nor anyone else. Cry, scream, punch something, shoot things, not people, by the way. Lift heavy weights, get the pain out of your system by wringing it out like a wet towel. Force it out of your system. And then let it sit on the floor in front of you, in awe of what you were able to do. Getting pain, particularly emotional pain, out of our bodies is one of the most noble endeavors you can partake in. You can do it. When it happens, you should be amazed by it. Look at how hard it was in awe, and give yourself a pat on the back for being courageous enough to confront it and get it out for your own purposes and for that of the other party, because you needed to. A non-tyrannical collective begins the non-tyrannical self. A non-tyrannical person begins the non-tyrannical self. You need to look inward and realize that it is okay if these things happen on occasion. To see that no matter what happens, if you do the right things, you will eventually come out okay. This is why having older folks in your life is so important. They've seen some shit. They know how life works. They know how cruel and heartless and unfair it is. And yet they have made it through and have prospered. They did not succumb to the moment and choose to live in their pain over striving towards the future and move on and let go. They did not do it for any other reason than they wanted to free their minds and their souls. They did not want to damn them to the hell of the past and wait for someone to rescue them. Rather, they chose to rescue themselves. And you can too. You don't have to be enslaved to your own pain and self-destruction. You can choose to accept, feel, and let go. It's all up to you. The choice is yours. But in order to do so, you cannot succumb to the shortness of the moment and the blow-up of the present. Your life is too important to be wasted on things that can so effortlessly and quickly pass you by. It will hurt. It will sting. But this, too, shall pass. Don't be too hard on yourself. Failure is one of the few constants of life, and it doesn't come just when you miss a shot or do poorly on a test. No. Those are easy. What is hard is fucking something up in your relationships and then having to live with it and attempt to drag yourself over the finish line. But the strain is worth it. I'm not sure I can prove that now, and I probably can make a better case today. But I think it'll ring true sooner rather than later. For now, like Tyler the Creator said, enjoy right now, today. Set yourself up to live in the present, not the past. Cut your ties with it. I can promise you that the present and aspirations to the future will treat you much better. You cannot forget the past, but you should dissociate yourself with it. Odds are, you are, you aren't who you were than if you did the right things. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. That's one of the 12 rules. You'd be wise to follow it. Okay, so that is the first podcast of 2020. That was 2022. That was exhausting, by the way. Oh my God, I feel really disoriented, actually. But that was that was really really refreshing. I I, I like that one. I like that one when I wrote it, and I like like that one now. So I hope you guys did too. Uh, I will see you guys next week. New post next week. Uh, new podcast next week. So I'm continuing the critical gender series. I'm really excited about it. Girls got my wrath last week. Guys are gonna get it this week. If you couldn't tell by the context clues, or this next week rather by the context clues. So 
we're going to keep moving forward on that. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. So I didn't say this but at the beginning, but can you dig it? I can. Own the day. Open your mind. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?